What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Coke is not Pepsi. Sprite is not 7-Up. They're different, and that's not an insult. They're just two very different things because some government and no government are completely different worldviews. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Oh, that is the sound a kitten makes. But if you listen to this program enough, you will eventually grow to roar like a true Liberty Lion. And that's why we recommend that you tune in not only every single Monday right here on the original flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, where I, your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire, bring you great interviews like the one you're going to hear today and great roundtable discussions uh, like the one you heard last week when I had Johnny Adams and Raylene Lightheart on for a very fun edition of Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. And like the one I had two weeks ago when I had an all-star panel of libertarian podcasters, Tom Woods, Dave Smith, Jason Stapleton, Mance Raider all came onto the show to discuss their involvement, their current involvement with the Libertarian Party. So if you missed any of that stuff, be sure to tick back in the podcast feed. Those were episodes number 359 and number 360. And yes, if you are if you are as good at math as I believe you are, that means today is episode number 361 of this program, which means you can find today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 361. You are going to need those show notes, my friends, because there will be a very special discount that you'll be hearing about in just a little bit. But first, I want to remind you guys, or tell you guys, if it's your first time listening, that this is the only libertarian variety show out there. What's that mean? It means you get three very unique shows every single Single week, starting with this one every single Monday. And then my man Brian McWilliams slaps you upside the head with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty every Wednesday on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odermatt wraps things up every Friday with his hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. And now, for a probably, <laughs> most probably limited time, we're going to have a brand new show. Now, when I was at Porkfest, when I was at the LNC, thanks to our Patreon supporters, by the way, you can find out more about our great Patreon program over at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. But thanks to our support on Patreon from our members of the Lions of Liberty Pride, I was able to attend along with my fellow Lions of Liberty events at Porkfest this year in New Hampshire, as well as the Libertarian National Convention in New Orleans. And I met so many libertarians who were involved in many different projects, but many who were running for office, many were who were involved in the political process. As you guys heard on my LNC mega shows, I will post links to those in today's show notes. I interviewed many, many libertarian candidates for office at the Libertarian National Convention, and I really enjoyed it. And I had so many candidates that reached out and wanted to be interviewed for the show, but we just didn't have room to regularly feature it um, in our format to meet the, the amount of candidates who really wanted to be interviewed. I'm still not sure we're going to be do that to be able to, to meet all of those candidates' um, desires to be on the show, but we're going to do our damn best. And uh, to, so in order to do that, we have decided to launch a, for a temporary time, a new spinoff show called Candidates of Liberty, and that will be debuting 
tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the day of its release, August 14th will be the very first episode of Candidates of Liberty, some brief snapshots of libertarian candidates around the country. And the very first episode will feature Laura Ebke, who actually switched from the Republican to Libertarian Party. She was a Ron Paul Republican in 2016. She got fed up with her state Republican Party and decided to join the LP. She is up for re-election this November, a very important race uh, for libertarians to, to look at, to focus on. So I'm very excited to share her campaign with you guys, as well as the campaigns of many other libertarian candidates out there. So do look for that. If you subscribe to this Lions of Liberty feed, you're going to get that show uh, starting off on Tuesdays. Maybe if we get more uh, more interviews than we can even handle, we'll might start releasing them a couple times a week. This is not a promise of any kind. We're just kind of feeling this out as we go, but we are very much looking forward to adding uh, to our format, at least temporarily, and we are always open to your feedback. You can give us feedback by joining our public forum, the Lions of Liberty Forum, just search that in your little search bar over in Facebook. Answer a very simple question about how you found the show, and we'll get you right in. Um, that being said, I think I've done enough promotion for now. Why don't we get into today's interview? All right, friends, my guest today is the author of a brand new book called Stay Away from the Libertarians. He is also the former host of the Renzo Republic podcast. He is Liberty's rabble rouser. He is my friend, Remzo W. Martinez. Remzo, you know what I'm going to ask. Are you ready to roar? Hells yeah, let's do this. Hells yeah. All right, buddy. So I just got to start off. You know, it's been a little while since you've been on the show. I know you were on with Brian earlier this year, but, uh, you know, in my intro there, I mentioned that you were the former host of the Remzo Republic. So what happened, man? What's going on? So after about, I want to say about seven, eight months of being a full-time content content creator, or as people that I went to college with used to call it, fun employed or unemployed, um, began working on a book, began working on a bunch of other side projects. And it got to a point where I was just not really putting my best effort into the podcast. So when you're a longtime podcaster, you have really two choices. You can end your podcast on your terms, or you can let your podcast end you. Because how many shows just like <laughs> randomly like disappear and then you never hear from those people again? So that's true. So there were a lot of things I wanted to do. I was in talks with a couple of radio stations here in Virginia where we where I was going where I was pitching basically a concept for a uh, essentially the same the same show so it would have been the Remster Republic under a different name but it would have been a full hour weekly so that meant no more season breaks it would have been a full hour instead of half an hour and I would have had more at my disposal so what I did was I needed to really go as all into trying to push that show as possible it, it didn't work out I'm still pitching it to a few networks but I also knew that I'm not the type of person where I can juggle chainsaws and a bunch of other stuff all at once so I realized that if I wanted to do the book, if I wanted to do some of the other stuff I was doing, something was going to have to give because people can, people can smell a turd pretty easily. So when we had Dr. Ron Paul on for our last episode, I was like, you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to put the show on a permanent hiatus. If I come back to this, it'll be awesome. If I don't, I ended the best way possible. And honestly, uh, there's a lot of moving pieces in my life, a lot of stuff that um, – you know, I'll, I'll probably announce in the coming weeks or months or so. But one of those things that I really needed to finally finish was my book, because this Leviathan of a task took about a year and a half and a ton of time and resources and effort. And, you know, if if I had not stepped away from the podcast, the book wouldn't have happened. So it got to the point where I really kind of had to 
prioritize what are the things that I want to accomplish. So that's uh, that's kind of like where I'm at right now. Yeah, I can definitely relate to a, a podcast almost finishing you. I can't tell you how, how many times, especially in the early years of the show, that I almost just hung it up. There's so many days where you know you, you lose a whole audio file or your computer crashes, and you just start thinking, "Is this even worth it? <laughs> Why am I even doing this?" But uh, we have soldiered on. But I, I totally get that feeling. I mean, if you have other things that you're trying to get done and you're not as passionate about that other thing, you know, sometimes it is okay to pivot to something else and you know accomplish what you needed to. So, uh, what I actually I gotta ask you as well. It must be pretty cool to uh, I guess to if you're gonna wind down to finish up with Ron Paul is not a bad way to do it. I was uh, also honored enough to be able to interview Ron Paul a couple times on this show. But uh, as far as you're concerned, what was it like for you to finally interview uh, you know one of your heroes? I know I'm one of them as well, but one of your other heroes, uh, Dr. Ron Paul. What was that like? Dr. Ron Paul was like. And I'm gonna piss off a lot of people with this. Doctor Ron <laughs> Paul was honestly like probably second to Jesus. <laughs> like I like I'm not like maybe I'm over exaggerating. Maybe I'm. I'm only pissed off because you put him second, but <laughs> you know you gotta prioritize, right? If I gotta prioritize him, he's gonna be second. But it was it was just such an amazing experience, and I, I felt kind of bad because we did this on video and I was wearing a, you know, a red hoodie and a t-shirt and the guy dressed up. So I felt a little less formal compared to Ron <laughs> Paul, but oh my gosh, like the guy's an open book and he's so, he's just a spitfire of energy. When I'm 80 something years old, like I want to be as active as Ron Paul. Cause that guy, like, honestly, he was just an open book and he can go on and on and on and on. And I only had 20 minutes with him. I was able to squeeze an extra five in there and make it 25, but he was, um, you know, he was just such a spitfire. Yeah. And that was so much fun. It felt like I could have talked to him for days if I possibly could. He is the same guy on the phone, the same guy on the interview, the same guy that's on the debate stage. He is uh, very genuine. It's You don't ever feel like a, a show is being put on. You feel like you're just talking to a guy. He picks up the phone and says, this is Ron. You know, you, you want to call him the honorable doctor or whatever. And he just says, oh, hey, yeah, this is Ron. What's up? You know, it's just a totally normal guy. So, yeah, I think yeah. I think we uh, can agree that it's just a, a very cool experience to really to ever interview i'm sure this applies to many other podcasters in many other realms or what what have you of media people that end up getting to interview or just meet some of their heroes so i think uh, both you and i are very lucky to have been able to have that experience oh absolutely i mean we're definitely we're, we're some of the few like if you really look at it he doesn't go on a lot and i'm not saying that's a boast but like no, we can boast it's okay yeah like honestly <laughs> like let's let's you know let's measure here like that that was big for me. And, you know, I'd only been doing the show for two years, but when I was doing it, I mean, it really consumed my life. And that's why, you know, my producer Ryan and I were able to achieve so much. It was, it was time where, I mean, if there was ever a time to end a show on a happy note, that was it. And what's cool is if, it, if you do pick it back up at some point and, you know, you start sending people to that feed again, guess what's right on the top of that feed? Ron Paul. Oh. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. That's why I also say hiatus, and it's not just done because, like you know, li life is full of random things. I really do miss podcasting, but I also like things like being employed. Yeah, so, being employed is okay. So somehow you know, I managed to do both. Yeah, and uh, I've you know I'm I'm running around telling employers and stuff. You know, like why do you like me? I mean, this past year it's been it's been really fun to get to do the podcast, all the documentaries, a spinoff show my brother and I are producing, and writing the book. I mean, it's. I, I'm I'm so incredibly lucky I had the time, the patience, and the opportunity to have 
you know, accomplish the stuff I did in such a short amount of time because, you know, if there ever was a time to make mistakes, take opportunities I wouldn't have had otherwise and, you know, end one chapter so another one can begin. I mean, it's, it's definitely there. And the beautiful thing is like my, my listener base, my fan base, they were definitely, you know, they, they really supported me when I needed it. And without them, I really wouldn't have had the extra pep in my stuff to get things done when I was just like, you know, just, just screw this. Like, why am I doing this? And with the book, I mean, that alone, they have been the biggest supporters and made it the success it's been. Yeah, nothing really motivates like hearing from actual human beings, not just seeing their Patreon dollars come in, although that's always very nice. But when they actually tell you, you know, your your work, your work means something to me. I mean, just being at the LNC uh, last month uh, and having so many people come up to me and, and actually say the words like your show is amazing. We, we you've really influenced, you know, the way we think about things. I mean, that kind of stuff is just, you know, you can't put a price on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a journalist in Virginia, so I get that sparingly every once in a while. I mean, a lot of people they just kind of see me around, so the star factor is just gone. But you know, I had that when I went to Freedom Fest last year, and like it was the weirdest thing. And a lot of people, um, you know, they they knew of my show, but a lot of folks came up to me and they're like, "Remso, I heard you on Lions of Liberty from one of the times that I've been on," and it's just it it's weird in a fun it's very way. Weird. It's weird. It's very weird. When I was on Stapleton's show uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about this, and you know, he said it, it's like the weird kind of celebrity because it doesn't actually get you benefits. Like you're not there's no supermodels clinged on you. You're not going to get to the front of the line at the nightclub or anything. It's just the kind of celebrity where random people recognize you. Well, <laughs> you, you know, with with the stuff I've done, people either wave at you with all five fingers or just one. So <laughs> you got you got to take it where you can get it. All right. And, you know, like you said earlier, one of the big reasons that you left the show and it was to really focus on this book. And uh, we'll talk more about that in a second. But I also want to talk about your spinoff show that you referenced there, this ghost hunting thing. We haven't really discussed that on this show before. And that did actually, oddly enough, spin out from the Remzo Republic. So why don't you just tell people out there that aren't familiar with your ghost hunting stuff? How did this all come about? How did you get interested in ghost hunting? And how did this turn it turn itself into an actual show that you're doing now? This is wild. Life is full of weird stuff man first we did it on a dare because i was on a you know i was i was on my couch watching like ghost adventures on travel channel with my brother and this is when this is like you know day 10 of us being like full-time content producers because i i started what, what i did to help so to uh, clarify i wasn't just like living at home on my parents couch what my parent what my brother and i did was we actually did start a small business where we did new media production where we did TV online and radio commercials. And then we use that to help fund everything else we were doing. And then we made passive income through commercials and Patreon, stuff like that. So we got that business set up, we're working clients, and then we do all of our other stuff for the Remsor Republic. And as we're watching Ghost Adventures one night, I'm watching the stuff with my brother, and I'm just like, you know, this is just, this is stupid. Like these guys are just a freaking sham i bet we could do better and then he looked at me and he's like are we those guys and i said no and he was like well of course we could do better so it started off as kind of like a would it happen type of thing and we needed to fill hours of the day with content so we started off haunted republic as a show where we would go and i would use my you know journalism skills and ryan would use the skills as an ultimate techie to kind of figure things out and um, I mean, Haunted Republic took a life of its own. We were online sensation for like all of like a few days in a, in summer of 2017. And honestly, in the year 2017, I was interviewed on more paranormal shows than anything about 
news or politics related. It was so weird. And that was the, I mean, that was the catch for a lot of people. They're like, you know, you, you've made your entire career of news and politics and media and stuff. Why are you getting into this? And I was like, man, like one, life is short. Two, this is fun. Three, if you want to look at like the real questions of life, like this is the most real news you're going to get. And uh, when Remster Republic was ending, Ryan went ahead and he pitched it to a couple networks. So we'll be on Fairfax County uh, Public Access in October of 2018. We transitioned from the from Haunted Republic to a new format called The Witching Hour. And obviously, because most people don't live in the Fairfax area of Virginia, it'll be online as well on our YouTube channel. So the fact that we put kind of like the investigator back in paranormal investigator, it's so weird how this whole thing from politics and libertarianism jumped into the paranormal. But man, life is just so weird. You never know where things are going to take you. No. So, so you'd never done any kind of ghost hunting stuff before you just randomly decided to do this. essentially. Yeah. And you see it in the first documentary, uh, St. Albans Sanatorium, because I the first documentary is actually meant to like debunk this organization called called ghost hunts usa and i went on a group tour and stuff and we were just trying to like disprove them so in the documentary you see ryan and i we actually break off from the group because we're like okay like screw these guys we want to go ahead and prove that this is all ridiculous that is the what you do not want to do in a horror movie i'll tell you that (laughs) no like honestly like that was the best worst decision ever because like that stuff just, uh, you know, I don't want to, I want to get too meta here. Get meta, baby. But there's some stuff in there that's really gone. Like that, that, that stuff really kind of freaked me out. So did you believe in ghosts at all before this? You know, I believe in the father, son, and holy ghost. I went to Liberty University, but like that stuff. No, not at all. Not at all. You, you, so you went into this as a complete skeptic. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I thought, me being a skeptic would go ahead and make it seem a little bit more real for people. But, you know, there, there are just so many things that occurred, whether it's, uh, I mean, we, we capture so much stuff on tape. We've done several episodes since, uh, you know, I've been locked in jail cells. I've been uh, trapped in, in old churches. I've been to mental asylums and stuff. And it's, we're primarily alone when we did this. It was like me and Ryan and maybe one other person. But what I will say is that, uh, we've got two friends in our paranormal group up here, our Argos Paranormal, that's our investigative team, who were staunch atheists. Brian Sujanin, who was a, a friend of ours, and he was actually like my first boss, so to speak, uh, in politics. He ran as a libertarian for Virginia House of Delegates in 2015. Then a friend of mine from the Army, Mike. And these are, and Mike's a pagan, like, ironically, like Mike is a pagan. Like, you know, I believe in like the old gods and stuff like that and Mother Earth. So I've got like the most secular atheist on one side of me and I've got, you know, an old school pagan on the right. And after their first investigation, now they're like, you know, rosary carrying Catholics. And I didn't do any of that. That was just their decision themselves. It was like the most trippy stuff you could ever imagine occurred. And yeah, I mean, it opened up a whole other list of like worldview questions, like where do I see myself in the universe? But, you know, I'm definitely a believer now. And I hope that that hasn't affected my skills because, you know, we've been to some places where I'm just like, this is not, this stuff is not real, uh, or at least it isn't real here. And I've been to some places where it's like, this makes Amityville horror look stupid. So, so what is the absolute, like, what's one just crazy or scariest moment that you had in person doing this stuff? 
Oh my gosh. So I was uh, in the cemetery of this church, which is one of the most haunted locations in Virginia. And there's this shed on the other side of the cemetery and me and Brian are walking and the, the moon was pretty bright that night. So we had a lot of natural lighting. Um, we use night vision cameras. Now we didn't have it during the first couple episodes, but we look over across and we see this person that looks there's just something odd. And the the creepiest thing was that this was around 3am. We see this tall person that's literally as tall as the shed. The shed was about like eight feet tall. And he's just like, his back is up against the wall and he's staring at us. And me and Brian look at him. We're just like, what's that dude over there staring at us for? This is just like really weird. Then he turns around. So that way we see the side of him. The dude was like, how do I describe it? Like he, he was like thinner than anorexic and he walked into the woods and here's the part that bugged me. If he had taken a few extra steps the other way, we could have caught it on camera because we had a fixed camera right there. And my brother had the giant camera, right? He was ahead of us. Me and Brian didn't decide to tell Ryan, hey, turn around and videotape that mofo right there. No, instead we just kind of stared at him. And then as he walks into the woods and he's all like dangly and thin and spidery and stuff, me and Brian look at each other and we're just like, what the hell was that? So this is just some crazy apparition, I guess? <laughs> yeah, because here's the thing. He walked into the woods. We went back to that tree line. It's a drop. It's a 10-foot drop. We would have heard something. There was no rustling of trees or anything. And like, I, we've been to that location a lot. That's where we actually test out a lot of our equipment because a lot of the stuff there is, uh, you know, really, really kind of spazzy and active, but like it's a 10 foot drop. Like, if that was a person, he, we would have heard it or he would have just like face first gone down. But that was, that was one of the craziest things that happened to me. But man, like I've had, and we've got a lot of this on tape. Uh, we've caught physical apparitions using laser grid equipment. Um, we've, we've caught class one EVPs. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to, to Peter Venkman right now. <laughs> yeah. The Twinkie, the Twinkie, <laughs> but uh, like, no, we've caught class one EVPs where it's like, we have a recorder and we're videotaping ourselves to do these sessions. And like during the middle of a long pause, you hear a name. We've heard blood curdling screams. Uh, we've seen apparitions ourselves one we caught on camera, one we did catch on camera. And um, no, I mean, I, we've been touched. We've been scratched. Scratched, like you had physical, physical, actual scratches on your arm. We had, or? Physical, we had physical scratches. Yeah, like, and it usually happens to Ryan, but like Brian was. Uh, <laughs> they like to pick well, on I mean, the crazy thing about this was when we were filming the Haunted Republic and some of the stuff for Witching Hour during the first season, we record a lot of that stuff months ago. Um, like Ryan was recovering from shoulder surgery. So he already had some problems in his right shoulder, but he just kept like one night he complains that he's like, wow, I just feel like something's just like digging in. He thought it was his stitches coming undone. So he lifts up the back of his shirt. He's like, am I okay? And on his other shoulder where he was complaining about, you know, feeling this pulling feeling, it's these three giant scratches and they were just like the craziest thing. And we took a photo of that and we, um, you know, looked at the next day and, you know, by then you could still see a little faint, you know, you could see the marks had 
began to go away, but it was just so weird when that happened. But uh, I mean, we were in Gettysburg and at one point we were in an area that supposedly had demonic activity and we were on this bridge doing our investigation. And then at the end of the bridge where we parked our cars, one of the cars turns on and turns on the high beams. And we just turn over and that was one of the situations where we had our father with us because he likes to do this type of stuff. And he, you just hear my dad scream like, what the hell? And it was just like, man, it is unexplainable stuff, unexplainable stuff. And all this happened to you somehow because you started a political podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Once you go libertarian, life gets weird. Life gets really weird. You might be, you might be chased by weird apparitions and scratched by them as well. One one minute you're talking to Zoltan Isfahan, the next minute you're running from Satan. I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't choose this life. I'm kind of like Forrest Gump. I just say yes to too many things and then it just gets weird. But liberty happens to you and it takes many forms and you just got to kind of let it happen. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of liberty, why don't we get into your book here? You've been working on this book for, I think, almost a year. Uh, it was released. When was it released? About June 20th. Two, so about June 20th. Ago, from when we're recording today. All right. And the book is titled, I, of course, it's somewhat snarky in the title, but maybe not fully snarky. Stay away <laughs> from the libertarians. So uh, why don't you just take it from here? Well, actually, before before we get into the actual book. Uh, why don't you tell the fans out there, uh, you talk about this in the book, but for people that didn't hear your first interview a couple of years ago on the show, uh, what first inspired you to look into the ideas of liberty? And, well, I know not, not necessarily what, what inspired you to look into the ideas of liberty, but um, well, just tell them about your relationship with Lions Liberty. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I was I was trying to learn more about this wacky, wild libertarian stuff. So I Googled, liber- so I searched libertarian on iTunes. So that way I could listen to something while I was working out or driving. And, you know, there was just this funny Jew and a couple of his friends that were doing this, uh, (laughs) you know, random podcast about lions and crap. And, you know, I I got kind of hooked from there. Yeah. So you can say we are somewhat responsible for for a pathway that led you to being attacked by ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I blatantly say like if it weren't for, uh, you know, you, Mark and john and brian like i wouldn't have uh you know converted a pagan and an atheist to catholicism what's weird (laughs) is in that situation i'm not even catholic i don't know why they went catholic immediately but they just did and now they're they're lecturing me on stuff and it's like dude get the hell away That's wild, man. All right, so get into the book here. <laughs> what inspired you after, you know, th- was it probably three years or so of, of getting involved in libertarian ideas, doing your podcast? What inspired you to write this book, Stay Away from the Libertarians? It And, uh, you know, I, I know that you being in occupied California have encountered this and so many other people, but the biggest enemy. Behind the lines. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest enemy of libertarians is not the state. The state is easy to attack. The state is automatically your enemy, but the state I have a feeling who it's yeah. going to be. The, the biggest enemy of libertarians is stereotypes, stereotypes, stereotypes. And while I thought, I thought you were going to say libertarians. Oh, well, you know, they are contentious, <laughs> but they, they automatically hate you most of the time. But stereotypes, I think, are the biggest enemy of expanding libertarianism because, uh, I, I can't tell you the number of times people have accused me of being a drug addict or being in love with prostitutes or being an open borders fiend or all this other stuff, but no one has ever given a direct rebuttal to the libertarian stereotypes in a full form. No show, no podcast, no book, but we tend to regurgitate a lot of the same 
you know, conversations over time, just because that's, it's like a natural flow we get into. But, you know, when we do start to attack the stereotypes, it's always, well, uh, that's not true and all this other stuff. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to answer that question. Why is it so many people tell you to stay away from the libertarians? So what I do is in the book, I talk about these stereotypes and whether or not they're true or not. And then the, the reasons why they exist through the lens of myself from 2012 through 2017-ish, tw- late 2016, early 2017. And hopefully by people you know, putting a face to these faceless hordes of online libertarians, we could kind of cut past the BS and just get straight to the conversation. And that's what I did here because you know I, I wanted to write kind of like my own little manifesto, but there are so many you know, like rules for libertarians and the answers to libertarian libertarianism for beginners and stuff like that. It's all been done by great people who are smarter than me, but no one answered these questions. So my task was to go ahead and take you from nothing to something. So maybe by the end of the book, you're not a full on libertarian, but at least you respect libertarians enough to treat them seriously. Because at the end of the day, it's not so radical to go ahead and say it's not okay to hurt people and take their stuff by using government as a violent middleman. And if we can agree on that, everything else is a pretty easy downhill uh, conversion from there, unless they're like an epic statist. But that's, uh, that's what I tried to accomplish with this. And it took about a year. It was tough. It was, uh, you know, there were many nights where I was like, I don't know why I'm writing this. Uh, you know, when I got my start, I was just a blogger and I still do a lot of writing here and there, but writing a book was just something I never thought that I'd be able to get done, but I did. And so far the reception has been really well. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the lava flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at the or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow Podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Are those dry, boring, run-of-the-mill political talk shows putting you to sleep on your commute or at work? Are you ready for some fun? Look no further. Blast off with Johnny Rocket is a Seattle-based podcast expressing viewpoints of free markets, voluntary exchange, badass music, wicked banner, and of course, drinking. The blast off doesn't shy from the truth, but always brings the party. Let's rock and roll, Raylene. Bring it on, Johnny. You can check us out at thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blastoff. Again, that's thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blastoff. Launchpad Media. Always launching ideas in your direction. All right, so you're, you basically wrote the definitive guide to, so I guess, debunking, maybe not fully debunking libertarian stereotypes, because some of them are based in, you know, some truth somewhere. Most stereotypes come from something, some small portion of the uh, the population at hand. So what stereotypes that you address in the book, uh, of all of those, are there any that you think are most commonly like true <laughs> or most often true about libertarians. I don't want to generalize here, but uh, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of difficult for that part because, you know, like, like you said, there's a speckle of truth to everything. These stereotypes don't just, you know, appear out of nowhere. Something had to happen. 
So, I mean, you know, one of the things that I encounter, and I talk about this towards the latter end of the book, is, you know, uh, libertarians spoil elections for Republicans and Democrats, and they only run to spoil elections. And I've had people say, if I vote for a libertarian, then the Democrat will win, or if I vote libertarian, the Republican will win. It's always that. And I wanted to, you know, show people you know, what kind of happened on the inside of several libertarian campaigns I was a part of, because, you know, there's always that part of the story that no one talks about. And that's, and because of that, that's one of the reasons why I started my podcast to put a face to the names of people kind of, you know, add to what, add to the conversation that you guys at Lines of Liberty were having. But, you know, people don't just wake up one day and want to run for office as a third party. Like that's really unforgiving, thankless crap you have to deal with. Just and, to maybe yeah. swing an election by 2%. Like, yeah, no one is doing that. You want that. somebody else <laughs> to win so badly, you're willing to run against them? Like, that doesn't make sense when you say it. And what, what I want to do is I want to talk about um, Brian, who now is part of our ghost hunting team. Uh, I want to talk about when Brian ran for House of Delegates and the crap we were getting from mainly Republicans. And then um, Robert Sarvis, who's probably one of the most successful libertarian third party races in America. Oh yeah. Last. I interviewed him way back in the day. Yeah. Like in the past, like 20 years, at least maybe going back to like Jesse Ventura, like no one has been as successful in terms of electoral, you know, percentages and everything else as Rob Sarvis. And he's a family friend. And, uh, you know, that man, like he, he got a lot of crap for when he ran for governor, when he ran for Senator, like people were heinously aggressive about him. Because they said that he helped elect one of the most corrupt Democrats in the country. And it's like, maybe maybe if the Republican didn't suck, with so many registered Republicans wouldn't have voted for him. And then when you go ahead and you actually look at the breakdown, it was primarily 65% of them were like independent voters, people that never voted before. So you're welcome for getting people involved in the process. But that's one of the one of the very easy things that people like to throw out. Well, you know, libertarians just never win because they assume one, they assume we're all part of the libertarian party. And secondly, they always assume that we're just there because of nefarious reasons. Like we just want to waste time and talk about pot. So that, you know, the whole electoral, you know, uh, stereotype of, oh, we just take votes from other people and we steal votes and stuff like that. Like that was the thing that took me probably the longest to write about in the book. All right. Another thing that you address in your book, what's up with the anarchists? How do you feel about anarchists? <laughs> I don't know why they hate me. I don't hate them. I really don't. But, and I'm going to get a lot of people screaming at me after so this. So w- would you call yourself like sort of a minarchist or just a very libertarian Republican? What would you actually, I, if you had to define yourself? You, you know, I'm, I'm a minarchist, you know, courts, okay. cops, that's basically it. Not even the roads. <laughs> well, we're all, we don't need roads, please. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm. By the time we settle the roads uh, argument, we won't need roads. Yeah, uh, I, I tell people that my <laughs> ideal government is from the 90s. And then they look at me and they're like, the 90s? And I'm like, yeah, the 1790s. <laughs> and that they're like, oh, well, that was, you know, nothing was getting done. And I was like, but that was when we were most prosperous as a people. And, you know, the thing about this is, and I, I try and say this very carefully because someone will write a 500-word rebuttal to what I'm about to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Anarchists are not libertarians. Ooh, that's going to Lib- Libertarians are not anarchists. 
I can feel the feathers being ruffled. Literally, I see Co- feathers flying by my window right now. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure I heard a gun cock outside my door. Um, you know, Coke is not Pepsi. Sprite is not 7-Up. They're different. And that's not an insult. They're just two very different things because some government and no government are completely different worldviews. And I believe that at the end of the day, there will always be a government because man is not perfect. So that's my worldview on that. Because we are not perfect, we will always have a system of government. No matter what you call it, it will always be a system. And then the anarchists believe because man is not perfect, why should you have government? And that's not incorrect. That's a very valid statement. So that's very valid. And I can't argue with that. I just, you know, if I'm going to have to lean in one direction or another, I'm going to have to lean on one government versus no government. I would like no government, but because I believe man is flawed, I believe we're going to end up having one. And then they fall on the other thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I tell people that if you're an anarchist, say you're an anarchist. It's like, I, I wouldn't call myself a communist if I didn't believe in any of the communist principles. So if you don't believe in some government, why would you put yourself in the category if you hate government so much? in the same category as people that believe in government. I think that's just something that we've confused. And I talk a lot about the history of the Libertarian Party, and this all kind of came out to the 1976 Libertarian National Convention where the Dallas Accords were signed. And the Dallas Accords basically uh, said that there's going to be this anarchist-minarchist joint coalition of sorts to go ahead and make the LP a big tent party. And the Dallas Accords specifically went ahead and readjusted the statement of principles and the mission statement of the Libertarian Party. And I talk about it in the book, and long story short, like it created the most vague, distorted, confusing series of, you know, legalese jujitsu in the language that's that I've really ever seen. And it's confusing because you you know, no government and some government are two very different things. And that's what leads to a lot of confusion between people. That, that's what leads to a lot of contention. Uh, you know, one thing I talk about in the book is, you know, there's this old LP party saying called the macho flash, where yes. basically, you know, you've got one person that says, I want to le- legalize marijuana because prohibition is bad and you have individual rights and look what it'll do for all this other beautiful stuff with the economy. And then you have one person that says, well, I just want to put crack cocaine vending machines in preschools. Like, you know, that guy just wants to be more libertarian than now. And I do target one person in the book specifically, but you know, I, I think it, I think if you voted for, who is this one person, they will all find out when they read it. Anyway, Daryl W. So. Perry. Okay. You know, What's I, your issue with Daryl? Well, I mean, I bet he's a good human being, but let's He's assume, an awesome dude. I hung out with him at the LNC. He's, yeah. a, he's a blast. Yeah. So I don't want to say, I don't want to like you know, distort any way. I'm not attacking him as a person. I bet he's a fantastic person, but you know, just looking at this objectively, like if he had been the LP part, the libertarian party nominee in 2016, he would have actually probably managed to destroy the libertarian party just by that, because he didn't go through any of the federal requirements to file as a candidate. He wouldn't have been on any ballot because he wouldn't have been legally recognized as a candidate. And the man, did absolutely nothing in terms of fundraising other than accept Bitcoin. And he's expecting to be taken seriously as a candidate. He would have taken the Libertarian Party back to 1971. And people were like, oh, well, you know, we need to run the most anarchist campaign as possible. And it's like, guys, you can't run a campaign if you don't have like an electoral chance in hell of even possibly getting elected. Because while we knew that the 2016 pre- 
presidential winner was not going to be a libertarian. Gary Johnson had a shot because at least he went through the process because the process was there. He did his FCC filings. He did all the ballot access work. He worked with the government. Daryl W. Perry was like, well, the government's illegitimate, so why should I work with it? So you think it's kind of just a waste of time for someone to use a party or a political platform simply to deliver a message when they're not actually trying to win the office or run for the office in in what you would say is, is a serious way? Yes, but you're good with using a political platform, knowing you're probably not going to win as you know to to deliver a message. Obviously, because you've supported candidates that had very little chance to win in the past, but just not as long as you are actually doing it and not just there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's all about playing the game at the end of the at the end of the day. And if you play soccer and you get on the field and you say, "Okay, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna play, but I'm not kicking the ball once," like that that's kind that's that's kind of stupid. It's like, why are you here? And you could talk about why the ball is aggression. You could talk about why the ball is evil. But guess what? (laughs) They're just going to not pick you to come up and be left defense. And you're going to be on the sidelines. You know who gets noticed on the sidelines? Nobody. Well, cheerleaders sometimes. Well, cheerleaders are different because they're working. (laughs) All right. Well, we got to tick back because I'm not going to let you fully off the hook on the anarchist thing. Let's dig in that a little bit more. I think you're not, you have a good point there with the idea that some government and no government are certainly vastly different things. And I think that's a very valid point that uh, can definitely confuse people that are learning about libertarianism that might meet a minarchist that says one thing and then an anarchist that says, no, all of that is bad. We shouldn't have any of it. Uh, I I do think the the word government gets things kind of tricky sometimes because when, when I don't consider myself an anarchist in the sense in the sense that I don't like to use that I just don't like to use that term because I'm not against you know rules I'm not against governance I'm not against people forming um, organizations that govern their territory that govern their land and when I mean govern I just mean do do some of the uh, the governing things decide mutual rules um, have police have fire departments maybe even build roads because to me all that matters is that these are That's voluntary a organizations. Far. who will build the bridges who will knock down the bridges um you know to me it's about the nature of that government and if it's coercive or not obviously in our current society it's all pretty much coercive but my point being here is a lot of anarchists that you talk to people that are ancaps will will agree if they hear my view on how things should work they'll call me an amcap and i'm not going to reject their label because i you know they want if they want to call me one of them why would you in that situation it would be i just think it's bad marketing more than anything else personally yeah um but like how would you view people that are say are anarchists or make might call themselves ancaps and but would say you know I, I am not against government or governance I just feel it should be voluntary I feel that these things should be done in a different way and I want all the same things you do Remzo I want police I want fire departments I want uh, you know whatever defense but I just feel it should be gone about in a different way and that's why I call myself an anarchist now I, I would maybe disagree with the marketing on that but philosophically does that mean they're that far apart from what you would call a libertarian I would agree with you on that. I mean, this is the thing that, and, you know, I will say this, anarchists are most likely to be very sensitive with the amount of angry (laughs) mail I get and stuff. But like, honestly, like I wouldn't disagree with any of that. There's nothing wrong with being an ANCAP at all. What is it? It's the most, you know, I'm not going to say radical because it's not radical. Radical means it's like, well, I'd never consider that. Like, you know, there are ANCAP approaches to things that, would be done better if they were just left voluntarily. And, you know, I'm not anti-ANCAP. You know, Logan Albright from Conservative Review and Free the People, 
Yeah, uh, you know, he's been a friend and a uh, mentor. You, you stole my next question, but yeah. go go on. Well, you, you, you want to ask Logan. it so people have some clarity. <laughs> well, I was I was going to ask who wrote the forward to your book. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, it was Logan Albright who was an ANCAP, and he's a proud <laughs> ANCAP. And Logan and I will never agree on certain things, but we agree on ninety nine percent of the issues. And honestly, on some situations in terms of like voting and stuff like that, I say. And, you know, I could, you know, I could go on a complete rant about this, but, you know, sometimes I'm more ANCAP than Logan on certain things. It's all just nuance and spin and, you know, everyone wants you to be their shade of freedom lover. But the, I think the yeah. labels always give us issues more than anything else, because a lot of times people that might have different labels, like I don't call myself an ANCAP. And when I talk to one, we agree on pretty much everything. I just don't like the label. So I think yeah. the labels can can box you out. I would never call myself a minarchist personally either, because I, I kind of hate that term even more. It's just um, weird. It's just weird. It's all weird. And I mean, that that's the thing. Like what I just want people to do is I just want them to get their terms right. So that way we could speak the same language, because I feel like a lot of times when they're talking to each other. It's like, we're talking past each other. It's like, why are we yelling when we, we just said we agree on something. (laughs) And you know, my biggest thing is this, if you want to play the game, you got to play it by the rules. And if the rules are against you, you've got to convince other people to go ahead and change them, but you can't do that from the sidelines necessarily. And that's, I mean, that, that's the biggest thing. People, uh, somebody asked me in a previous interview, they're like, so do you believe anarchists should be, should not be allowed in the Libertarian Party? And I said, I never said that. Uh, you know, I've, I've given money to anarchist candidates because if they want to go 10 miles and I want to go nine, am I not going to support that person? I will say this, my biggest issue of anarchism as a succinct worldview and political philosophy is that I do believe that's far too utopian. And that when you do start debating an anarchist, more, more than enough times, they're going to go ahead and start out with, well, you know, in the perfect libertarian society. And here's the thing. We're not going to ever achieve that. And I think I'm stealing this from Dave Smith. But, you know, I mean, he's he's right. Like within 20, if right now I were to pull a Thanos and snap my fingers and all the federal government disappears and all the state and local government disappears, you know, you have 30 minutes from now, you have a government. And within an hour, they're going to start taxing people like we will. Like you, when right. you talk about the perfect ANCAP society, you're assuming that everyone is on the same page as music. Uh, I mean, of music as you, but there will always be people that want to be told what to do. There will always be status. Ultimately, our society is going to reflect our culture. So simply, like I said, snapping the fingers, removing the government. If we have the same culture with the people with the same beliefs, that's right. There comes that government again. Yeah, like this so culture that's why, you know, people like you government. and me. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think you and I are in that cultural war, trying to influence the culture more so. Well, not more so. I I think we, even more so for me now, I've been more involved in the Libertarian Party recently, and you've been always involved in politics in uh, several different venues. Uh, Why don't we actually shift to that, actually? I think think many of my listeners will be able to forgive you for not being an anarchist uh, and for for sharing very, very similar views. But here's another question, Remzo. Um, Why are you a Republican? (laughs) So I'll split that into two different parts. I'm a Republican because I want to go ahead and see my vision for how I think society should be governed or not governed with the loudest, most well-resourced avenue of approach possible. And that is through the Republican Party. And secondly, I'm in a state where the Libertarian Party of Virginia just 
doesn't really, you know, they're, they're running a couple candidates, but for the past four years, really since Robert Sarvis left, I'll even go ahead and say maybe 2015 was the last year of good LP candidates. Um, the state party here is just, you know, it's basically non-existent. They pose no threat. They don't work together. It's just, it's just basically dead. So I mean, don't the more libertarian Republican candidates end up getting shut out in the primary anyway? I know Nick Friedis had a pretty good showing there, but you know he he didn't make it unfortunately. I mean, I think he he would have been a great Republican candidate that I could oh. get behind. But oh, absolutely. But you know, I you know Virginia is the spiritual home of the House Freedom Caucus because we have my former boss, uh, Congressman Tom Garrett, one of the biggest civil civil libertarians in government. He's from the 5th District of Virginia, and I worked for him in his campaign. Sadly, he's not running for re-election, but the guy running in his place is probably – he calls himself you know, a small libertarian sometimes, and he's, you know, he's, a, he's a whiskey distiller and stuff like that. Like We've got good people, and then we've got Dave Bratt over in the district next door to me who's one of the top conservative, you know, liberty-leaning Republicans every year since he's been elected. So we have a, and there's some other guy I forget for sadly, I forget his name, but like we've got three members of the house freedom caucus. And then you go ahead and look at other Republicans like, you know, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, Thomas Massey, Justin Amash, Walter Jones. I mean, we've got some fantastic people, but you know, what do they all have in common? They're Republicans. And, you know, I, I was, I've been listening. I just got done with the LNC mega episode ish, uh, number two, the second part today Um, and you know, what was the one thing that brought a lot of those people into the libertarian party, a Republican named Ron Paul. So I see it in terms of, so I see it really in terms of two positions of two positions and maybe it's because I'm a political, you know, operative, so to speak, but you know, I take it as where can I get the biggest bang for my buck right now? And then where can I at least compete? If I were in New Hampshire, I probably wouldn't be a Republican there. I'd probably be a member of the libertarian party. If I were in uh, um, uh, Utah or Washington State, I'd probably be a member of the Libertarian Party. There's no point in being a member of the Libertarian Party in Virginia. That's just the thing. I think if you're a Republican in New York or California, is there a point to being a Republican? So I, so I see it in terms of a strategy point. But, you know, I've had a lot of opportunities to, you know, really kind of convert a lot of conservatives into small libertarianism by, you know, kind of going into the war zone, so to speak, and being an active member of the local Republican Party here. Like, I'm, I'm a board member of the Young Republicans. Like, my, like you, you, if you were to tell me this a few years ago, I, I'd say that you're a freaking liar because I'd never be a sellout like that. But I am. And what have I managed to do? The six months or so, I've been a board member just doing my thing. When I talk to people and they get to know me and they debate with me and they discuss things with me, I've made two people smaller libertarians. Now they're saying taxation is theft. So in a way, there's kind of like that insurgent sleeper agent type of thing going on. So that's how it is. But, you know, it's not to say that, you know, I'm just a complete shill for any Republican that gets shoved down my throat. Um, you know, in terms of like candidates I've given money to the past 12 months, Kevin McCormick, Larry Sharp, Craig Bowden, they list a Republican. No, they were all libertarians. So you're just you're willing to support any candidates that you feel are solid libertarians, small L, regardless of what 
party they happen to be in, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when people are like, and, well, and as far as I know, yeah. there are really none in the Democratic Party. I could none. Be, I could not be wrong. But <laughs> I, I used to like Cory Booker and then he was a shill. And I like Tulsi Gabbard on a few issues, but she's really bad on a lot of other issues. But, you know, um, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, you're a Republican. Rah, 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 rah. And then they're like, well, I'm a Republican. Rah, rah, rah. And that's like, no, you're not. Like, are, like, really think about it. At the end of the day, you vote Republican. You're not serving in an elected capacity as a Republican. You, they, you owe them nothing, and they owe you nothing. So why are you so fixed to it? That, that and, you know, and I do talk about this in the book. I'm really kind of agnostic towards the party process. I mean, parties are tools. Parties are things that you use temporarily. And if at the end of the day, what, what, should, what should the difference be? It should be a cultural change. You know, if I were to go down the list of all the libertarian terms I would describe myself as, I would describe myself as an agorist. I'm trying to live my life in a way that really makes the state irrelevant. Uh, you know, I've gotten really big into crypto. Um, you know, I've been trying to learn a whole bunch of other stuff to make myself less dependent on the state. It starts with the individual, radical individualism. And then everything else is just an application and a tool. So, you know, I, I call myself a Republican because I am a Republican. But, you know, the why matters. Right. All right. Well, I think we've addressed most of your potential controversies with, with our listener base, <laughs> the anarchist stuff, the Republican stuff. Why don't we uh, take a minute now to uh, you mentioned to me before the show, you're going to have a special little deal on your book for our listeners who have heard this program today. Uh, I will have the link in the show notes, but why don't you describe what that deal is going to be? Yeah. So go ahead and hit up the show notes after you listen to this episode. And if you go ahead and click on the discount link that Mark is going to go ahead and put up there for you, you could save $5 off an autographed copy of Stay Away from the Libertarian. An autographed copy, not just any old copy. Now you can show it off to your friends and say, look, the state has signed my libertarian book that was forwarded <laughs> by an ANCAP. <laughs> this Republican anti-anarchist wrote this book about libertarians and signed it for me. <laughs> Remzo, it's been a blast as always. I wish you the best of luck. Also, I know you mentioned it briefly earlier, but just to uh, drive it home, when does this show, The Witching Hour, when does that debut and how can people find it? October 2018. We're not, uh, we don't have a hard date yet, but if you go to Argos Paranormal, that's A-R-G-O-S Paranormal on Facebook, or you just do ArgosParanormal.com, you'll see all updates there on the Witching Hour. All right, brother Remzo, it's been a blast. I wish you the best of luck in all your endeavors, and uh, I know you're going to be busy no matter what you do, because you've been, uh, you're one of the busiest people out there, so keep it up, buddy. Appreciate it, Mark. Take care. All right, friends, fans, liberty lovers, thank you so much once again for tuning in to your favorite darn libertarian podcast, at least your favorite libertarian variety show, if nothing else. Uh, I do want to remind you to head over to today's show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 361, where you will find a very special link to a very special deal for a signed copy of Stay Away from the Libertarians by Remzo W. Martinez. Be sure to go ahead and check that out. Be sure to check out all the shows on this podcast feed. As always, once again, you'll get Brian McWilliams on Wednesday with your weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land. And John Odermatt wraps things up this coming Friday with his weekly look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday and tomorrow, August 14th, or maybe it's yesterday. Maybe you're a few days behind. I have no idea. The point is, check out this podcast feed 
for the very first episode of Candidates of Liberty featuring Laura Ebke. Very excited to get this one going. And for Patreon supporters or people that maybe aren't quite sure if they should be on Patreon or not, well, look, we have an amazing show called The League of Liberty, where I join forces with myself, Johnny Adams of Launchpad Media, of Blast Off with Johnny Rocket and Raylene Lightheart, which you heard, who you heard both from last week on Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, uh, as well as Chris Spangle from We Are Libertarians and our good friend Roger Paxson, a.k.a. Atlas One, <laughs> of the Lava Flow podcast. And we had such a great show. We also did a live version of that show at Porkfest, which we actually did release as a public episode of this show. So be sure to tick back and check that out if you want a little bit of a preview. But we really had a great episode that I really hope you guys will enjoy. Uh, we we did a lot of talking about uh, the Libertarian podcasters that recently joined the Libertarian Party, uh, whether or not it makes sense to be involved in the Libertarian Party. And uh, let's just say we did not agree. <laughs> we did not agree on things. So it got very, very interesting. So for as little as $5 a month, you can get access to all of our exclusive bonus audio content, including the latest League of Liberty podcast. So I encourage you guys to check out our Patreon once again at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Until next time, folks, live long and live free.